0: Good morning and welcome to church on this blessed Sunday service. Amen. I really enjoy the worship. The worship took me back many, 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 many years when I was in high school. We used to sing this on in our, in our campus ministry. So it took me way back. And interestingly, I was just chatting with the worship leader in high school many years ago on WhatsApp before we started church. amen so all signs point to that great we thank god yesterday we had a great time at Worms. i believe those of us who attended we were blessed um we have one more meeting for the year amen so i encourage you to attend if you've never been before i believe you you have an experience amen let's start off with a word of prayer get right into it heavenly father we thank you for this morning us. We come before your holy word and pray that your word will minister to us, O Lord. May we receive your word today. May we be obedient to your word. May we apply faith to your word. May we have action muzzle to your word that we receive in Jesus' name. Amen. Today I'm ministering on what I call prayer and evangelism. Prayer and evangelism. I I want us to understand the rule of prayer in evangelism. Uh, If you've been in this church for some time, I hope we are all aware that on our church calendar, the third quarter, that's from July to September, is the quarter of evangelism. And our church vision has an archery theme to it. Gospel for everyone. Church for every community. So the first three words "gospel for everyone" suggests that we are a church that is involved in evangelism, amen. So <clears throat> the goal for why the vision has to be made plain to all members is not to be conversant with it and then just rhyme along. <laughs> it, it doesn't make impact that way. It has to transcend from just "oh, I know the vision, I can rhyme along with the vision," if. Any of the ministers or pastors do the welcome message and announcements. It's just not that, um, but we have to come to a place as a church where believers we are we we believe in the vision. And when you believe in the vision, it means you will be a facilitator and a doer of the vision. Then the vision becomes uh, uh, more appropriate. Amen. But if we just reduce it to just a slogan gospel for everyone, church for everyone. It, it doesn't have any impact that way. Amen. So uh, I, I pray that every member of the church will feel comfortable and will feel graced enough uh, to preach the gospel to a friend or a loved one. It's the reason why we are called. Uh, every church member should feel comfortable and graced enough to minister to a family member and even a stranger, most especially. If they are unsafe, Do you know how many strangers I've spoken to on the street? Do you know how many strangers Pastor Jessica and I have spoken to on the street? We've, we've gone out of our way. It's not because we knew them, but it's just passion. Amen. So I pray that that, that passion will be translated to the pews as well. So we can't just sit back with this dangerous gentility. You know, they, they, It's good to be a gentleman. It's good to be a lady. It's good to have manners. But there is some gentility, which is very dangerous. It's unnecessary gentility. Uh, you are a Christian and people are dying, perishing, going to hell, heading down the road of destruction. And you are gentle. You won't open your mouth. You won't open your mouth. But we, we are the same people. We don't have a problem uh, recommending a restaurant to a friend, recommending a saloon to a friend, recommending an experience we may have an a, a, a affair to a friend, but yet we feel so ashamed. And, and and we have this kind of gentility, which is even dangerous, a dangerous gentility because souls are at stake. I mean, let's face it. If you don't tell somebody that this is the food I ate at the restaurant and go and try it, will the person die? It's not a heaven or hell matter, right? But this sentence is very dangerous. We are talking about the salvation of a soul here. So, So most Christians, the average Christian, doesn't really value salvation. Because truly, if we really value salvation, we will do everything to get the message across, even if it means we will have to be inconvenienced. Amen. So it's very sad that among our churches today, from a general point of view, generally, when you look at the landscape of a church, the the church is not interested in evangelism. It's the least patronized events, the most unpopular events. And sometimes pastors may want to evangelize, but when they look at the cold and the lukewarm reception of the members, they they just abandon it to be like, what is the point of even creating uh, such programs and such fora for, for initiatives like this to happen? But I pray that today may we get to what is the heart of God. You see, part of pursuing Christ means that you will pursue the kingdom agenda. And the kingdom agenda at bay this morning, which I want to bring to your attention, is the salvation of souls. If truly you are telling me that you are pursuing Christ, you will have a heart. Your heart will beat for the salvation of souls. And if you and I have been privileged to receive the gospel, we have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. If you and I have had this great opportunity, we will do everything possible to extend that invitation to everybody that needs Christ. Amen. So I pray that may God Minister to us, I'm believing God that that will change. amen where ministry gives pastors, members who embrace God's commandment of go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. amen and sometimes too there is there is a, there is not a culture of evangelism because ministry gives are not doing it. And if you want to start a culture, a culture doesn't start from down. It has to start from up. Then it trickles down. You have the domino effect. So sometimes if we if we are not creating that culture of evangelism, are leaders doing it? Are those in foremost positions of authority, are they doing it? Because that is how you set a culture. So I pray to God that may God minister to us this morning. And um, the reason why I'm talking about prayer and evangelism is prayer is a very strong catalyst to evangelism. And when we are talking about a catalyst, I believe you all know what a catalyst is. It's you know, it, it's something that causes an effect to take place. And I believe. If our evangelism will come to a place of potency, to come to a place of power, we we have to believe in prayer as a catalyst. Amen. And it's is it safe to say Christians are not witnessing due to a deficient prayer life? Can I say that? Because it could be likely. Because when you read Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Interesting scripture. This is one of Jesus' last commandments he gave to the disciples before he ascended to heaven, to his father. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So from this scripture, two things are supposed to happen. When we receive the Holy Spirit, we are supposed to receive power. Number two, we are to be witnesses. What does it mean to have power? Power talks about that mighty energetic force, which works like a dynamite. It resides in us. It's the power of Christ. And what is that power able to do? It is that power of Christ that is able to act upon the minds of men when they have an encounter with us. Men come to a place of repentance when they encounter us either through the preaching of the gospel or we live in the gospel. You see, there are different ways of witnessing. One way of witnessing is to preach it. Another way is to live the gospel. Because Apostle Paul says that we are living epistles. Your life, your manner of life You being a new creation can witness to somebody to receive Christ as his Lord and personal Savior due to the resident power in you which works like a dynamite. Amen. The second thing that we have to know is witness. And who is a witness? A witness is just a testifier. You testify of Christ because of experience. You see, You can't witness if you don't have an experience of Christ. You have to have a relationship with Christ. By a relationship with Christ, you have an experience. So sometimes believers are not witnessing because you don't have an experience. All your experience is what your pastor says on Sunday or even if you come to midweek service, you, you don't have a personal experience by which you can say, this is my personal encounter with Christ. Not what my pastor said. Not what I know. That's my personal encounter. We don't have a personal experience. And when you don't have a personal experience, what are you testifying about? What are you testifying? You can't testify. You say, thank God for the Bible. You know, it's good. You read the Bible and everything. But when we are talking about witnessing, what has Christ done in your life without referring to the Bible? If you don't even open the Bible, can you tell somebody without the Bible, look, this was what Christ has done in my life. I was someone that used to struggle, but when I came into Christ, Christ has set me free from all sorts of vices, all sorts of bondages. I used to struggle sleeping at night, but when i received christ as my lord and personal savior and started to worship him i felt his peace that everything will be okay uh, i i was a sinner who i believe i had no hope i was on my way to hell but when i received christ as my lord and personal savior he has ministered to me he has ministered to me assured me that i'm going to heaven Forget about what Pastor Steve will preach. Forget about what Pastor Steve will Can you, without any of these, can you tell people about a personal experience of who Christ is? Can you witness to people about healing? Or are you going to tell people about healing because your pastor said on Sunday that Christ is a healer? So you don't witness like that. Even in court, you can't witness like that. You can't testify like that. You can't testify on second-hand accounts. It's not valid. If you want to be respected as a witness in the legal uh, courts, you will have to be able to be a first-hand witness, or you have to be able to give a first-hand account of what you personally know, not what you know by abstract. So that's how it even works in the courts. Now, if we are going to witness to people about Christ, what is your personal experience? Then now the Bible comes into place. This is where now, whatever personal experience you have, this is when now it has to be authenticated by the scripture. So we all have to have a personal experience. You, you testify of Christ because of experience, or you serve Christ by testimony. And what does it mean to serve Christ by a testimony? It's the evidence of a new life. The evidence of a new life. Amen. So the travesty of this is many have received the spirit, but are powerless. Many have received the spirit, but are also failing in their witnessing duties to the Lord. A scripture does dropped in my mind. I think we should read this. Go with me to John chapter 20 one. Let me see something right here. And I'm sure when we we will resume our John series, we will definitely come here. John chapter 20. Now, mind you, the same disciples who are called apostles in Acts chapter 1 is the same audience Jesus is ministering to in John chapter 20. Look at verse 21. Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent to me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Ghost. Receive the Spirit. So you see what I'm trying to say? Many believers have received the Holy Spirit, but they are powerless and they are not witnesses. So when Jesus was talking to these people at the Mount of Olives that he was going to ascend, Mind you, it wasn't the affairs are of the Holy Spirit. They had already received the Holy Spirit. Because in John chapter 20, the Bible says that Jesus said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So, these disciples did not just have a working knowledge of the Holy Spirit. They also have an experiential knowledge of the Holy Spirit. They had actually received the Holy Spirit. But Jesus looked at these same people and said that you are powerless and you are not witnesses. And they have received the Holy Spirit. So, what will make us powerful? What will make us witnesses? That's what I want to talk about. So now go with me to Acts chapter one, verse 12 to 14. So the question that we have to answer is that if we have received the Spirit, the disciples received the spirit in John chapter 21, yet they lacked in power and they were not witnesses. So the question is, if we have received the spirit, When you receive Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, you receive the Holy Spirit. Why are you lacking in power? Why the hesitation to witness? Why the shyness to witness? Why do you feel tongue-tied when you have to tell someone that God loves you, but you don't struggle to tell someone a joke? You don't struggle to tell someone that you had a good day, but why do you struggle to tell someone about the gospel? Acts chapter one, verse 12 to 14. So this is where prayer now comes into play when it comes to evangelism. Acts one, verse 12 to 14. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olives, which is near Jerusalem, because now Christ has ascended. So now they are going back. A Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Aphael, Simon, the Zealot, Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the woman. Thank God that there were women who also knew how to pray. With the woman, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So, after Jesus' ascension, the next important meeting the disciples had was a prayer meeting. They had received the Holy Spirit, but they were praying so that that prayer will serve as a catalyst for them to receive the power of the Holy Spirit and also to become witnesses. I I believe strongly that when these disciples were praying, they were praying in expectation of the power of the spirits. They were looking forward to the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. How do I know that? Because when it happened, Peter talked about it. So they had that expectation that our forefather, Prophet Joel, prophesied, of the outpour of the Holy Spirit. They prayed in expectation of that. They look forward to the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy in Joel chapter two. They were mindful that Christ had promised them the experience of receiving the Holy Spirit. And I also believe that they also prayed in anticipation of fulfilling their mandate as witnesses. I believe so. Between Acts chapter one and two, So that story that we read is probably the end of Acts 1 and then chapter 2. Between that is a period of 10 days. So the Bible is not explicit to how many days. Because from the Mount of Olives to going to the upper room is a day's journey. So one day is gone. So I I don't really know. How many days they spent praying, but I want to believe and it is safe to say it was probably more than a day prayer. But what I want you to know that the the, the import of the message is that they prayed. The average Christian prayer is, Lord, I want you to bless me and let me tell you something, God delights in blessing his children. He delights in blessing us. The Bible says he delights in the prosperity of his servants. God delights in blessing us. But a time has come that we have to start praying intensely, not just about our desires, but about, Lord, I want your power to be resident in me. I want your power to have full expression so that I can live for you and be a witness. Christians also, we have to pray those prayers especially in this year of pursuing Christ. It's not just about pursuing blessing, and God wants to bless you. God is not offended if you drive a nice car. God is not offended if you live in a mansion. God is not offended if you walk in good health. God is not offended if you have a lot of zeros to your bank account. God delights in the prosperity of his servants. But don't just let your prayers be about, Lord, bless me. Lord, I want to prosper. Lord, I want to make it. Let your prayers be, Lord, use me to be a witness in this year of the pursuit of Christ. Let's set our affections right. Because we are raising a kind of Christian that when it comes to blessing, We are all arms out. But when it comes to the work of ministry and doing the work and becoming effective and then becoming uh, people who can disciple others, we draw. And it's a bad recipe we are setting for disaster. We have to believe in the blessings of the Lord. And yet we also have to believe in fulfilling the commands and the mandate of God, which includes us preaching the gospel. Look, an angel will not come down from heaven to preach the gospel. God is not going to come down to preach. The, if you are expecting Jesus, he's not going to come. The responsibility is on our shoulders. And if you are feeling terrified of the prospect of I have to witness to somebody about Christ. You need to get into prayer. Because when you get into prayer, you will now begin to have what I call a sweet spot for now ministering the gospel. Because it is not a natural mandate. It is a divine mandate. And anything that is divine will need divine means to make it happen. And prayer is one of it. The picture conveyed in Acts 1 and 2 is intense. It meant that the people really prayed. They were not taking a chill pill. They were not having meetings. They were praying. Now, when you read Acts chapter 2, it's a very interesting story. And my concentration in Acts chapter 2 are the first four verses. So I want us to go to Acts chapter 2. Because these people, they were very expectant of God using them to affect their world for Christ. Acts 2 verse 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Now, what does it mean when the Bible says they are all with one accord? It means they were praying. That's what it means. These guys were praying. In Acts chapter 1, we just read, They went a day's journey, they were praying. Eight days later, they are praying. So I don't know whether in between those days they prayed throughout or it was intermittently. But all that I want you to know was that prayer was ongoing. They had been in the upper room praying and they encountered the Holy Spirit. So Acts 2, verse 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, like I read earlier on, they were all with one accord in one place. They were praying. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then they appeared to them, divided tongues as of fire. One sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. For some Christians, the reality and the presence of the Holy Spirit is very far fetched. It's not far-fetched. If you really want to experience the reality and the person and the presence of the Holy Spirit, please get into a posture of prayer. You will experience him. And even your pronoun for qualifying him will change. You will not be saying it. You will be saying he. You will see him as a person because the Holy Spirit is not a sensation. He's not a chill bump. He's not a feeling, he is a person. But you will never be able to know this until you come into a place and into a posture of prayer. These people experienced the Holy Spirit. It was real, it was tangible. The Holy Spirit came in symbols. Three symbols you see here. Symbol number one, wind. You know, one of the things that Jesus mentioned of the Holy Spirit was he's a comforter. And anytime wind comes, wind can serve as refreshing. It serves as comfort. Wind has a presence. So when the people experience this symbol of wind, it meant that God is here with you. They felt encouraged. The second symbol was fire. And the fire was like tanks sitting upon their heads. Zeal, passion. The third was wine. Why do I say that? because they had utterance. Whenever you take wine or alcohol, one of the things you will never struggle with is speech. Even if you are a stammerer, when you take alcohol, your stammering goes away. You are able to speak freely these people experience the wine of the spirit. That is why, when you read Acts chapter two further down, the Bible says that others mocking them say, "These men are full of new wine." Peter said, "No, we are not drunk. It's just nine a.m." I said, "Peter, you don't know. There are certain communities before nine, they are gone." <laughs> Amen. You you, 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 he was very conservative. He just didn't know. But what I'm trying to say is that. Whenever you have experienced wine, speech is never a problem. You say anything at any time, anyhow, and consequences are left to who any wants to be offended. They experience the wine of the spirits, and that's why they had utterance. They left the prayer meeting empowered and emboldened because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to get back to the place of prayer if we want to experience evangelism at a high, especially like what happened during the Acts of the Apostles. Peter's preaching started from verse 14. He preached very powerfully. I don't have time to read the, the, the whole of Peter's sermon. It, it would be nice to have read it, but there is no time. But the, the short of it all was Peter started preaching in verse 14, talked about the prophecy that happened during Joel, uh, testified of Christ, who was a man sent from God. He was attested by God. He did miracles, all that sort. But the effect of the preaching was that their hearts were cut. They they became convicted. This was the same Peter who was afraid of these people. The same Peter. This was the same Peter that struggled to confess Jesus as Lord to a little girl and deny Christ. It's the same Peter. He's emboldened. He's empowered because he has spent time in the presence of the Lord. And he's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, that's why we need to come back to the place where we are emboldened, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to become true witnesses of the gospel. And then, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Look at what Peter said in response to the people whose hearts were cut. Because when the audience experienced a cut in their hearts, they said, What shall we do? So now let me con- let me read the conclusion of Peter's sermon, Acts two verse thirty eight. So Peter has already done an expose, but this is the concluding part of his sermon, verse thirty eight. Peter said to them, "Repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise." Verse thirty nine is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as our Lord God will call, 40. And with many other words, he testified. So this account is even an abridged version of Peter's sermon. It's not an exhaustive uh, 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 um, uh, sermon of, of Peter. He testified and exhorted them, saying, Be safe from this perverse generation. Verse 41 Those who gladly received this word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Do you know why 3,000 came to the Lord? It wasn't because Peter was educated. If you read Acts chapter 4, the Bible lets us know he was unskilled, he was untrained. So Peter had no education to boast on. I don't think that Peter was the best of orators. It wasn't because of that. It wasn't because of maybe charisma or he had a charismatic personality. Peter was able to win souls for the Lord because he had received the power of the Holy Spirit, which is catalyzed by prayer. And because of that, he became an effective witness. And ladies and gentlemen, if we are listening to this message, we need to come back to the place of prayer. You have received the Holy Spirit, but make it a point to pray and let prayer serve as a catalyst so that when you evangelize, you will win souls for the Lord. So, when you have encountered the Holy Spirit through prayer, you receive a chance to be an effective witness. And a chance is part of the empowerment of the Spirit. And that's what made the difference. Yesterday, if we, you do remember, during our work of ministry seminar, I did talk a bit about a chance. Amen. But Peter's testimony of Christ and the scriptures led 30,000 to experience salvation. So today, based on this message, I just want us to pray corporately about souls. Amen. That's pursuing Christ. If we are pursuing Christ, we are pursuing the heartbeat of Christ and the heartbeat of Christ, ladies and gentlemen, is God wants people to be saved. So if we say we are pursuing Christ, let's also pursue his heartbeat which is the agenda of the church. May we be fruitful and may God add to this church through the testimony of Christ. Father, I've delivered your word. May we be so winners. From now to September, magnify our works. Glorify yourself through your testimony. Glorify yourself through us living faithfully like Christians. In Jesus' name, amen.